Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. I just wanted to say I appreciate all of your support of the Flashpoint show and podcast. Would you do me a favor? Would you subscribe to the podcast and be sure to rate and review? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Have a happy 2021. Now back to the show. Coming up. Philadelphia has seen 46 homicides in the first 30 days of the year. That's almost 30% higher than 2020. We're dealing with young men now who have no conscience. You got shooters now being paid to shoot. What's the community responsibility to stop the killing? The community's part is, is you know, stepping up and taking your community back. Activists in the street and online talk accountability. Then she's asked the Kenny administration to create a COVID-19 style coordinated response to gun violence. COVID showed us how this city can come together. Council member Jamie Gauthier lays out her case on what it should look like. Make gun violence a top priority for Philadelphia. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is community accountability for gun violence. We're only 30 days into the new year and Philadelphia is already on course to see another major uptick in shootings and gun deaths. So who's responsible for curbing the killing? We have two guests this segment to discuss. First up is Bilal Kayyum, founder of Father's Day Rally Committee. Bilal, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me on. Congratulations, 224 guns off the streets thanks to your organization and the city coming together to do a gun buyback. Talk about this and why you decided to do that. Well, I knew coming into 2021, we had to do some different stuff. Uh, there's groups out in the streets every day. I commend them. A lot of my friends are out there doing the intervention work on the streets here. But also knew that most of the most of the homicides in the city, the weapon of choice is gun. So I wanted to make sure we are focusing on guns as we talk about reducing violence in the city in 2021. Uh, we were able to get support from a foundation called the Greenfield Foundation. She's a young lady named um, Emily Clark, white woman, and she, and she stepped up. She lives in Chestnut Hill, and she felt that the white community was being too quiet on this issue. And she gave us a grant. People said, well, how gun buybacks don't work and all that. I disagree. A lot of those guns were in the houses where they were elderly folks. And they said they were turning it in because they felt uncomfortable with a gun in the house. A lot of guns on the st streets now are from robberies from people's 
burglarizing their houses or their cars. Four the grandmothers I talked to up North Philly all said they were turning them in because they got grandchildren in the house. They didn't want to have those guns in the house with yeah. their grandchildren. Because we had a nine-year-old girl shot by her brother. They, the kids had been left unattended and yep. there was a weapon in the house. Talk about community responsibility for this epidemic that is gun violence in this city. Well, I think that this action Saturday was a, a clear, sh- one example of community responsibility because when we made the call, uh, even though they're getting a $100 gift certificate for food, um, people stepped up and people said they wanted to get involved. Sherry, we could have never done it without community stepping up. The other side of the coin is we got to get fathers to really begin to step up now. Go get your, we say, go get your sons on those corners. Develop a relationship with them if you don't have a relationship with them. Put aside this, this beef between you and the baby's mama, as we hear, and, and get involved really with your son's lives and your daughter's lives. The number of women shot last year and killed, uh, I haven't seen those numbers. I have seen those numbers before. And, and mothers got to be around. They got to show love to their kids and cut out this bashing the fathers because he's not around. As a community, that's not solving our problem. The number of children being shot is up, uh, even this year. I mean, we see full out people upset. Anytime mm-hmm. a police officer is involved, we see fully, you know, people upset. Anytime somebody who we can call racist is involved. How important is it that we get people within the communities of color to step up too? Uh, because one of the things Commissioner Outlaw said was, look, you know, we were able to identify suspects in the recent shooting of a, of a 20 25-year-old former Temple student because people came forward. But in a lot of the the shootings in Black communities, because illegal activities involved, nobody speaks up. What's your response to the help us help you uh, mantra she was saying? I don't agree with that. If the homicide unit was solving more crimes, people would have more faith. They would come forward and speak up. Every city where there's a drop in homicides, there's a high clearance rate by the city's police department. So the city's got to step up. City police department, this is one thing that I that I, I feel strongly about. They got to step up and do some old-fashioned nitty-gritty detective work and find out, even though people in the neighborhood might not speak, they can find out if they put the pressure on them. The pressure. Now, I do agree with the commissioner. People in the neighborhoods really have to step up, too. But they're afraid, Sherry, because we're dealing with young men now who have no conscience. You got shooters now being paid to shoot people. See, I'm here and you got young men now on who want to shoot somebody so they could get a rep that Johnny's a shooter. And if Johnny becomes a shooter, somebody will pay Johnny to shoot somebody. We have a lot of work, and it's and, but it's on both sides. Black folks got to step up, but a lot of them, unfortunately, are scared. Because if you turn little Johnny in and little Johnny's boys might take some retaliation, that puts us in a position that we've got to get harder. We got to say to young brothers in the streets, we ain't taking that stuff either. You know, if we know you're shooting, we're going to turn you in. We're, at, we're not at that point, Sherry. We really aren't. But there's a lot, let me say this, a lot of young black men I know doing tremendous work in the city of Philadelphia, out in the streets, interacting with young men. And I know for a fact, because they're doing that work, there are, and this might sound strange, less shooting. How important is it for community members to 
prevent shootings by knowing what, what's happening and not tolerating criminal activity uh, tied to their households. Well, it's very important because the reality is with the way shootings are taking place in the city of Philadelphia, not only Philadelphia is across the country. I, I have talked to folks in Washington, Detroit, Chicago, New York, same problems in our communities. So it's very important that, that we challenge each other. Um, but also, sir, we cannot forget, and I think I had a discussion with you before, I really believe in the city of Philadelphia, what's driving a lot of violence now is white institutional racism. When you got 30% black males jobless, 50% black male youth jobless, we only with 46% of the population, we only own 4% of the businesses. There was a study done by the health department about the disparity in health issues with, with Black folks. Dr. Stanford, who's doing this excellent job with the Black Doctors uh, Consortium, had to fight, had to fight to get funding from the city. Let's look on the corporate side. Our good, our good brother, Yuki Washington, the racism going on in the media. So yeah. when you have all this racism that is constantly denying opportunities and, and inclusion, that also is one of the big problems because young folks don't, they don't have hope. They don't see a future. They know folks in the street that can't get jobs. And I know people say, but oh, that's all because there's jobs out there. But if you're not prepared and you have not been prepared because of the education system, uh, it's going to be harder. And once you get into that certain lifestyle, Sherry, it's very hard to get out because people are human. People adjust to their environment there. So if you're in a negative environment, your behavior is going to be negative. But I'm optimistic. Black folks have always overcome. I remember growing up, and fortunate enough, because of the work I'm doing now, Queen Mother um, Falaka Fatah, her husband, Dave Fatah, back in the 70s when I worked with them and I cut my teeth in this stuff, um, trying to stop gang wars and, and gang killings. In the early 70s, we were averaging 90 gang deaths a year from, from, from kill, I mean, killings. Late 70s, 79, there was zero in the city of Philadelphia because of the work of the House of Mosul, because of crisis intervention, because of concerned mothers in North Philly. There groups all over the city doing great work, interacting with young folks. And we literally brought gang deaths down to zero. And during those times, Sherry, the police were our enemies. They were not helping us. They were putting all kinds of roadblocks in our way, trying to stop the game. So I'm optimistic in 2021, we work together and be honest with each other. When you ask me the question about what the police say, I, you know, you saw my response. We got to be honest with each other. So it's on both sides. Police need to do better. Community needs to step up and do better. Thanks, Bilal. Our second guest is Terrence Terrell, also known on Instagram as No Gun Zone. He's been making daily posts on the city's gun violence for years, but in recent weeks, he's taken his advocacy to the streets. Terrence, welcome to Flashpoint. Hi, how you doing today, Chair? I recently saw you speak at a rally at the Art Museum on MLK Day. Our portions of your video have gotten tons of views. Um, explain to people kind of what you've been doing on social media and why you decided to bring that into the real world. You know, I speak my piece on social media, being as though social media, I'll be able to speak to a broader audience than actually going out to individual um, different stopping grounds. So I use social media, primarily Instagram. I am on 
Facebook and I'm on Twitter, but I'm not as active. I decided to take it to the people directly because that's that's what needs to be done, especially with a voice as large as mine in Philadelphia. It's better for the people to actually get a connection to the person behind the platform. And so every day for people who've never heard of No Gun Zone or don't follow, you should, because he has a community, I guess, news board where almost any kind of gun violence related incident that is reported and some not reported end up on your page. Why do you do that? You know, just so the people can can actually know what's taking place in their community. You'll be surprised when, you know, you see someone say, wow, this is right up the street from me or the neighborhood's changing, you know, but you aren't actually in the know. What you see is actually what's happening every single day. You gave a speech, you know, you got a retweet by Meek Mill. A lot of people retweeted what you had to say. What is your take on this with regard to community? The community has to do better with being accountable. You know, we have a lot of things that's already against us, but we know these things already. So now is actually time to move forward and implement some solutions. Like I said, you know, at the art museum on NLK Day, I don't have the solution, but what I do have is a voice that can collectively bring people together to form a solution. In your mind, what is the community part in all of this? The community's part is, is, you know, stepping up and taking your community back. You know, treat your community the way you treat your individual homes. Some of the things that we see on the platform and on our, our media outlets every day is, is, is ridiculous. And a lot of these things can actually be prevented, you know, if people step up and do their part in the community. And whoever you are, if you are the elders in the communities, the parents in the communities, the, the, the coaches in our communities, the teachers that still live in our communities, you know, become a resource hub if you have information. It's a lot that the community can actually do. We could change different political figureheads over and over, but the problem is going to still be here in Philadelphia and urban communities abroad. Why do you think people don't step up and help with this issue and instead point to police? Because one of the things you said was, you know, people get mad every time, you know, police shoot a black man. They get mad at Trump supporters. They get mad at a lot of different things. But you ask yourself how many of those individuals actually were responsible for, you know, any of these 499 murders from last year. Right. And when you when you actually sit down and sit back and think about it, how many of the people that the public seen on No Gun Zones page that were actually casualties of gun violence were attacked by a Trump supporter or a person that shares a, a George Zimmerman's ideology? You don't see too many of them, you know, so that's time for us to reflect. You know, a lot of us, we use the excuse about the systematic nature of it all and where it starts from. But after a while, if you know, you know, the root of a, of a situation, when do you form a solution to move forward? It's time to convert the same energy that we would if, if a black man was murdered by a cop. These are black men murdering black men. Why do you think people don't get as outraged? Yeah, I've gone to march after march every time there's a you know vigil after vigil over the years. Why don't you think you see that same mass outrage like you saw with George Floyd, but when you see it in a community by black people shooting black people? It's the same outrage, but it you know it comes with stipulations. The average person can't speak on a situation that transpired in their neighborhood because they fear 
you know, retribution from someone. And that's another stigma in, in our communities that we have to break. We have to change that narrative because if you have an elderly woman, you know, that resides in a community 40, 50 years, she done put three children through college and, you know, she has grands and great grands. If she witnesses a crime and she speaks to the authorities about it, there shouldn't be any retribution sought to her or her family. She's not in the streets. So that's where a lot of that come from. You know, it's a, it's a, a culture that, you know, it needs to be totally annihilated and reconstructed. There's no rules. Yeah. Do you think it has sort of slid into this wild, wild west situation? Oh, yeah. Complete anarchy. A lot of these things are emotions. It's not a, a, a super high drug market in Philadelphia in terms of some of our, our port cities, you know, the, the L.A.'s and New York's and, you know, further down south. This is Philadelphia and the gang culture isn't out there like other other cities. So when you break it down, it's, it's mere emotions, you know, and, and, and a lack of a lack of morals. So why have you become this activist? Um, you know, and a lot of people, you know, call me an activist. I hate the, the, the name activist, but it is what it is. You know, when I started this, I seen some things in my community and neighboring communities around me that look crazy, you know, when you're standing from afar. And I just, you know, I I'm said to myself, I'm going to be vocal about it. And I'm going to be vocal about it to the point where it ruffles feathers and it becomes thought-provoking. Yeah. In six, seven years, this is what it's, it's become. Because you have, at this point, hundreds of thousands of followers. Is there a downside to your activism? You know, the price of my activism, especially for what I do on my platform, you know, I got to I watch over my back. And even though I shouldn't have to feel that way, yeah, I have to, um, you know, I have to protect myself because people may not actually like what I'm doing. So I have to be very, you know, mindful when I'm in certain communities. Um, when I make a post, I have to be mindful what will actually offend a family. And even though the families, they see it when they turn on the news, me being from, you know, their community or me looking like their son that was murdered, they expect more from me, you know, so I have to hold myself accountable. You know, people look at me as as a neighborhood hero. Some people look at me as um, a confidential informant to the police. I'm glad that certain men and people with a certain respect actually you know, they knock all of those sentiments down to the ground. And, mm. you know, folks that actually know me outside of, you know, no gun zone, you know, they come and, you know, I have a fair share of, of supporters that are, are are loyal, you know, loyal. They don't mm. let anyone say any anything negative. But, um, yeah, it definitely comes with a price. I'll just let everybody know I'm still me. I just, you know, I, 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 um, I care about my community and I care about my people and I couldn't be a man, you know, in these communities and just be silent. And so now you brought it to the streets. What are you hoping to accomplish? And will you do that more now? Will we see you more? I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, the message will, will reach every, every man, woman and child, you know, to, to create, you know, a, a zero tolerance towards um, gun violence and violence in general in Philadelphia. More people need to speak up and take back the community. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Peace and prosperity. Uh, shout out to um, Brandon Chastain, B. McFly. You know, we got together for MLK Day and, and you know, that was the, uh, the peace and prosperity. Hopefully we will uh, be able to do this once a month for 12 months. He's calling it a tour. 
Um, I don't have a name for it, but you know, you will see more of that. And I just want to say, you know, shout out to everybody that is active with changing the narrative of what's going on. Um, the No More organization, Anton Moore, Unity of the Community, um, Movita Harold Johnson, and Yancey um, Harrell. Um, I mean, so many people, Mr. Clean and Safe Parks. It's a lot of people that's that's doing some some beautiful beautiful work you know uh, i just want to say keep it coming reach out to anybody if you want to start somewhere you know i'm always available to the people i share my platform with people that i've never met before peace and prosperity for 2021 for philadelphia well, i want to say thank you so much to you terrence harrell aka no gun zone you know i wish you luck thank you Next up, she's proposed a coordinated citywide effort to curb Philly's gun violence. We should be rallying every agency in the city to make gun violence their top priority. While this city councilperson says the mayor's recent silence on gun violence says so much. We'll be right back. Hey, Flashpoint family, if you like what you hear, why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras? One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our past newsmaker of the week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early. All of this and more, please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. Now back to the show. This is Flashpoint and I'm Cherry Gregg. The newsmaker of the week has been advocating for Philadelphia to declare gun violence a citywide emergency. Philadelphia City Council member Jamie Gauthier represents West Philadelphia, a hotbed for gun violence, and has written Mayor Jim Kenney and worked to pass a resolution to call on a coordinated response to the problem. As of Saturday, murders are up nearly 30% over this time last year. Council member Gauthier, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. I just want to talk about your proposal that came out months ago. Explain your idea. I, I want to start off by saying that we all know that last year was an incredibly violent year. We lost 499 Philadelphians to gun violence. Our city had over 2,200 shootings. And so um, as these shootings have happened, I've gone to visit the, the scenes of, of this violence in my district. I'm talking to my residents and hearing about how scared they are, hearing that they're, they don't want to let to let their kids go out to play. They're scared to go to and from work or to the grocery store. And, you know, I'm seeing that people are not getting what they need and people don't know what our city is doing to address this crisis. And so that was sort of the, the backdrop for me asking the mayor to declare um, a citywide emergency as it relates to, to gun violence um, in the city. And so I put forward a resolution asking the mayor to do that. It was um, supported by 14 of my council Council colleagues. And not only are we asking that the mayor declare a citywide emergency, we've outlined a number of steps that we think the city should be taking if we were truly addressing gun violence as a crisis, as an emergency. The first is information and transparency. People in our neighborhood should not be in the dark about um, what our city is doing to address gun violence, and they should not feel like they're out there alone. I think that our city, our mayor and his 
team should be addressing the city on at least a weekly basis on the efforts that were taken to combat this epidemic in a manner um, similar to what we do with the daily COVID updates. I think that we should be rallying every agency in the city to make gun violence their top priority. And, and in addition, we have a vibrant private sector that we can be calling on at this time. We should ask the business community to come to the table with jobs. We should be calling on the world-class institutions like Penn and CHOP to help us out with this problem. Um, we should be calling on nonprofits and community organization. That's the kind of all hands on deck approach that you take um, in an emergency and when we're losing so many lives. Um, additionally, we need there are evidence based approaches to um, preventing and intervening in gun violence that have worked in other places. We're doing some of them here, but we need to be looking towards other cities to see what works um, and to see what we can be employing in, in Philadelphia. And so those are some of the things that um, that I want to see. And truly, it's a call for the city of Philadelphia to raise the level of urgency uh, and priority as it relates to gun violence. Uh, I asked the mayor's office about this, and he said that he has already done this work by uh, declaring gun violence a public health issue and uh, rolling out uh, his roadmap. What is your response to the mayor saying, we've already done that? I agree that the road map is an innovative approach and it was it's how Philadelphia is looking at addressing gun violence as um, a public health crisis but at this point it's clear that we need more resources directed towards this issue I you know have been in council for a little over a year um, it seems like not a day goes by that there's not a shooting in West and Southwest Philadelphia and so while I respect um, the work that is being done we're losing far too many young black people in this city and we need to be doing whatever it takes um, to save their lives. And I think COVID showed us how this city can come together um, to address an emergency, to address a crisis. Um, we see um, the mayor and his people on TV every day talking about COVID. We see um, the city agencies working together towards the goal of keeping people safe from, from COVID, right? We see fundraising. David Cohen put $5 million on the table for school children to have laptops. We made we put the call out to foundations. Gun violence in this city deserves the exact same level of priority. Why do you think that hasn't happened? I, I can't say that I fully understand it. I can't say that I do. From my perspective, you know, representing um, mostly Black working class neighborhoods and feeling like people in my in the neighborhoods that I represent don't have the opportunity to live a high quality of life. I feel like I have to speak out on this issue every single day until until we're addressing it with the urgency that it deserves. So I can't speak to why the, the mayor won't undertake this action. I can't speak to why he won't really address it. But I will say that every day that the city is silent about gun violence, it communicates something to people, the people who live in these neighborhoods that are being terrorized by it. Yeah. And I go back to the comment that Commissioner Outlaw said. She said that they are doing these meetings. Apparently people are meeting. Media, we're not necessarily invited. Transparency, as you mentioned, 
we don't know what's happening. What would transparency do for the community you serve? Transparency would provide information. So as I'm going into communities, I'm finding that people feel hopeless. Um, they feel scared. Um, they don't know what is being done to help them. Um, I think that's wrong. People, the citizens of this city deserve to know that uh, of the actions that the city is undertaking to address this. So information is key. Um, but I also think that transparency transparency provides accountability, right? If you know, if you're working on something in your job and, um, and you have to get in the spotlight and talk about what it is you're doing and how you're doing it, um, I think you operate differently. Um, and so, and I think accountability is important as well. And we'll also yeah. provide an opportunity for us to course correct, right? If we're doing things that are, that are not working so well. And I think it provides um, an opportunity and a platform for partnerships, right? The more the city talks about its work, the more people will want to join in um, to help. Gun violence demands an all hands on deck approach and putting in place um, a citywide emergency, creating a more transparent way to work around this issue, I think. Um, kind of opens things up for us and allows for the type of um, partnership um, and, and the type of all hands on deck approach that we need. Do you think race is an issue here because of who's impacted by gun violence in this city? I don't want to think that. But I do think of gun violence as a racial and social justice issue, right? Anytime that Black people in Philadelphia can't go to a park um, safely, can't um, visit a rec center. We've had mass shootings at, at um, we had a mass shooting at a rec center in my district. Um, we had a six-year-old who was playing outside um, get, get shot. Um, in, in my district. Anytime that Black people can't enjoy um, a normal quality of life, um, and, and, and but yet that doesn't raise to a level of emergency or alarm, I think that's a, a racial justice issue. It's also a racial and social justice issue because these are the same neighborhoods that have been literally starved for resources. These neighborhoods have been disinvested um, over decades. And some of that has been um, on the part of government. So that's another reason why we have an absolute responsibility to step up in this moment and support our community members through this. Uh, Emily Clark of the Greenfield Foundation gave a $10,000 grant to help with the gun buyback um, recently. And she said that she feels more white people need to step up given the structural racism that has been in place for generations. More white people need to step up and help with this issue and not just say it doesn't affect us because it, it it does sort of as we get ready to wrap up, how do you make the argument that this gun violence issue is an all of us issue is not just West Philly. It's not just Southwest Philly. It's not just North Philly. This issue needs to be um, a matter of importance and urgency for our entire city. We are losing 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds and children even younger than that. These are the these are people that are taken away from our city who could be the future leaders of our city, right? Um, and and beyond that astronomical cost uh, cost of the lives lost, um, there's also a real cost to our city um, when we have to deal with so many homicides on a daily basis. Um, additionally, we, you know, this mostly impacts Black neighborhoods, but we've also seen it, it spill over, right? All of us want to 
feel safe where we live. All of us want to feel safe in our city. All of us want to feel like um, government values our lives so much that they're willing to do whatever it takes. You did a resolution. You got support from city council. Now that we see this sharp spike and more gun violence this year, what can people do at, you know, to help you renew this call for this um, citywide emergency on gun violence? A group of community members actually started a petition um, around the mayor taking the actions that I've outlined in the resolution. This group is called Stop Gun Violence Philly. Um, people can search online for the petition. It's really easy to find. Um, the, they're trying to get to a thousand signatures um, by the end of this week. And so, you know, it, whether it's through the petition or some other way, I think that people have to raise their voices and let Mayor Kenny know that this matters to them and that they want to see our city raise the level of urgency and priority around this issue. Council member Jamie Gauthier, thank you so much. Thank you for having me and for focusing on this. Next up, she's bringing African-American literature to the next generation. It's important to see your images in literature. The virtual event that'll bring authors, books, and more to kids across the region. We'll be right back. Patriot Home Care is here to help when their clients need them most. If you're a caregiver and feel uncertain about where you're working now, call Patriot today. Patriot Home Care is now paying up to $600 in hazard pay to its current and newly hired direct care workers, recognizing their hard work and caring for our consumers during these uncertain times. Hazard pay will be up to $600 per direct care worker. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. That's PatriotHomeCare.org. Or call 1-877-535-5550. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community, and a Philadelphia group is working to keep African American literature alive for the next generation. Our associate producer, Ariane Fulcher, spoke with our Patriot Home Care changemaker, Vanessa Lloyd Scambati, founder of the African American Children's Book Project, about their signature event. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be back here in spite of the things that are happening around the world. Books are alive and flourishing and people are still being creative. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about your organization? The African-American Children's Book Project is a nonprofit and was created in 1992 to promote and preserve children's literature written by or about African-Americans. You know, we believe a book opens up a world of opportunity. And the book fair is one of the many activities that is produced as a part of our whole energy and initiative to get kids reading. We do book fairs, book signings, workshops. We have a wonderful program, I Read to See Me. It's important to see your images in literature, educating consumers on trends, resources, and in, in youth literature, and guidance on establishing home libraries. And of course, we do a lot of advocacy initiatives to promote Black American children's literature around the world. Wonderful. Can we talk about how your interest in children literature came about? I am a mother, but when the book fair happened, my son was a teen. We lived in Italy for over 12 years and I could never find any black books. And I used to say to him, when we get to America, we're gonna find some black books. Needless to say, it was the same situation. They were few and far between. You had to know where to go in order to get them. But in 1992, 
someone came to me and said, hey, I want to do a children's book fair. Now, there was a lot of stuff going on for Black History Month. There were parties, there were book events for adults, all kinds of cultural events, but there were no children's book events. So that first event was held in John Wanamaker's department store. And I thought that a few people would show up, maybe 50. It was a cold, stormy day, which happens in February. It was the first Saturday in February and 250 people braved the elements. Needless to say, on average today, over 4,000 people show up in those three hours that we host the book fair. And the reason why it has continued to grow and thrive is because there's a need for it in, in the community. People really, really understand the importance of having your children read outside their normal coursework. Since being in this industry, have you seen any major changes within Black authors in African-American literature? I think the biggest change I've seen in the past year was how many parents of all races wanted to know more about African-Americans. I hear the expression often, a woke baby. It is really, really true. You wanna teach your child about social justice, but you must teach it through the lens of Black history. You cannot teach history without telling your children at you know, a young age about slavery, but you gotta pick the appropriate book. You wanna tell your children about the rich history, the creativity. You know, African-Americans have been in the forefront of inventing a lot of things that we just take for granted. Case in point is the traffic light. That was refined by an African-American. The home security system was developed by a black woman. So there are lots of things that you could go on and on and on to talk about our contribution. The original White House was built by slaves. So all of this is information you want to share with your children, but it's not all gloom and doom. There's so many highlights and creative people that have come out of slavery in spite of all the indignities. And you want to explain all these to your children. Absolutely. And now you guys have this event coming up February 6th that's pivoting amid the pandemic. Tell us a little bit more about it. So the 29th annual African-American Children's Book Fair will be virtual from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is a free event. And this isn't just your normal virtual event. We're going to have panels, workshops, some of the authors reading from their books and an opportunity also to talk to them during the course of the afternoon. The panels uh, have a theme. So we're going to cover a variety of topics. Black books are history. Black books are artistry. Black books are culture. And I wanted to show all of those things in our program. And the panelists all reflect those themes. This is probably the only place that you will get the opportunity outside of an industry event to meet both an author and illustrator at the same time. So they can talk about the artistry how they took the words and the illustration and matched it into something really wonderful and grand. The other thing that was important to me for this book fair was how do you stay connected with the kids? So we're going to have an opportunity for some of the children in the region to get a free book. That is wonderful. What do you want people to take away from this event? That books open up a world of opportunities. I can't tell you how many times as a kid, I would escape into books and I love travel books. My parents realized that in order to keep me firm, they had to find an outlet for me and books was my escape. I would take out travel books, Rome, Paris, London, and every book I took out, I could imagine myself in those places. 
And as an adult, I'm as comfortable on the Champs-Élysées as I am on Broad Street. I've gone to Rome and I even lived in Italy for over 12 years. And so my escapism turned into my reality. And that can happen for our children. Find something they like to read. Access and choice has meaning. Let them make the decision what they like to read. And how can people support you and register for this event? You can go to our website, the African American Children's Book Project.org, and donate. No sum is too small. And most importantly, you can buy books and you can register there to be a participant in the 29th annual African American Children's Book Fair. We'll make sure you guys check them out at the African American Project.org. February 6th is their 29th annual African American Children's Book Fair. And thank you to Vanessa Lloyd Scambati for joining us here on Flashpoint. That's it for Flashpoint. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. And since we always wrap it up with a quote, here's one from Anonymous. Where there is no accountability, there will also be no responsibility. The show was produced by Ariane Fulcher and me, your host, Cherry Gregg. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Until next week, thanks for listening.